Well, thanks to the worship team for that and thank you for Jeff for a great communion. And happy Mother's Day. Uh, great to have all the mums here, those from our church and those from beyond. And uh, the great thing about Mother's Day is that even though we aren't all mums, we all have one. We wouldn't be here without them. And the respect, the love, the gratitude we have for mums doing a great job is a lifelong thing for all of us. So welcome to you today as well. You know, a few things highlight the human soul, the, the torment, the anguish, the frustration, the joy of a human soul more than the whole concept and the livelihood of being a mother. And you look at the things that, that mums go through, the insatiable longing to have children can overwhelm and drive and, and compel and take up so much energy in our lives. The sense of unfulfillment when children don't come so easily and, and the frustration of navigating that sort of space. The tragedy of miscarriage, the tragedy of things going wrong in the whole process. And then as it plays out, the determination to provide our kids a very best path in life can turn us into all sorts of people, can't it? The term helicopter parents are a relatively new one. The things that we become because of our children. And then the frustration of rebelliousness in our teens or our kids who decide not to walk the path of faith can cause many of us to spend uh, sleepless nights and have tears in our pillow. But then the joy of seeing them flourish, the joy of life multiplied, grandkids, all the things that I've been enjoying lately in, in, in my phase of life and my wife, Trisha, just nothing can replace that. It just doesn't get any better. But it's not only mothers and women who, who have access to these types of emotions. All, all humans have hopes, all humans have dreams. And I wanted to really talk into that today and just the whole idea of what happens in the midst of the tension, in the middle space of dreams unfulfilled and how we navigate that. Because many of us are stuck in this place between uh, a broken or an, un un uh, an unhealthy past and an uncertain future. And we're just not sure how it's going to roll out. So we want to continue that conversation about how we navigate those things because it's about those things that most of our prayer life is consumed. Things like kids, relationships, careers, uh, accomplishments in life, our health, all the things that matter to us. And when these sort of hopes and dreams are unfulfilled, our heart can get quite toxic. It can change the way we think, it can change the way we view God and the way we see ourselves. Proverbs 13, 12 says that hope deferred makes our hearts sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. There's a naturally human response to this sensation of hope deferred, this, this sense of having a sick heart. And it can be a toxic thing if we, don't, if we let it go. And this human responses normally go one of three ways. We can begin to question the dream itself. We can say, did I hear wrong? Was this something I should have invested my heart in? Or if we don't question the dream, we can ultimately begin to question God. And this is where we can get on quite dangerous ground, but certainly not something that God can't bring us back from. We, we get frustrated because we think, well, God, I've waited. Where are you? And this can lead to a place where we say, look, don't talk to me anymore about having faith in God. I relied on him and he hasn't come through. The only person I can rely on now is me. And so we, we get this isolationist, this self-determining logic about the way we approach our future. Or we may question what we are doing. We may well say, well, God wants this dream fulfilled, but he must be waiting for me. So I'm going to activate this thing myself. I'm going to just going to find a way to make it happen. No matter what it costs me, I'm going to pursue this thing. And these sorts of questions and this sort of logic um, are often, they often remain unanswered by anyone but ourselves. We form this rationale, this, this way of forming a conclusion in our mind because we need it to make sense. Our minds can't find peace without understanding what's going on. So we create understanding. And it's false understanding sometimes, and it creates a false peace. 
that can quite easily be wiped away again. But on our journey as uh, spiritual pilgrims, which we all are, um, there'll come a point where God will take a believer quite often, if not all the time, will certainly be desiring to get us to this point in our life where he will reduce the number of options of paths in our life to bring us down to a single path just for a season, a one path option. And we'll normally look at this path and we'll go, that's my last option. We'll try almost anything else because this path is not marked by the outcome particularly that we're seeking. It's, it's not marked by particular fruit in our life. It's marked by something else, something way more important to God and ultimately will prove to be more important to us as well. So we tend to avoid this path, and I'll get to what this path is in a minute. But we choose all the other paths that are out there. Paths of storming heaven, where we'll just push through, we'll just keep knocking on the door, assuming that if we do this, God's obliged to do that. And so we'll storm heaven and we'll intercede and we'll, we'll do this for a long time. And, but our determination to keep talking uh, means that sometimes we just can't be hearing the very thing he wants to give us in a quiet whisper. And so we might try just waiting, just waiting patiently, just waiting for God to do what only God can do, sometimes for years. And we get to the end of that at some times and we'll say, oops, I think I've waited too long and now nothing's happened. So what's the logic in all this? Or we may just try making it happen through ridiculous amounts of effort, obsession and drivenness. And if that all fails, sometimes we'll resort to just blaming someone else. So it must be their fault. They must have missed God's will. Um, they must be holding me back or whatever it is, someone else's mistakes. And I'm wondering if these are sounding very familiar to you because most of us at some point in our life will find ourselves coming up with these sorts of conclusions. And what's happening there quite often is that all those paths, God's just putting a road blockage sign up on each of them. He's putting his hand up and saying, it's not that way. What I have for you is not found through that kind of logic. So let me flesh out what this single narrow path begins to look like through the life of Old Testament Jacob, just briefly. Now, if you've read Jacob's story in the Old Testament, he's a grandson of Abraham who had his own similar trial over similar issues. Jacob was prophesied uh, to become uh, the head of the family and take on all that Abraham had been promised. It was going to go through Jacob's line and he became very obsessive about it. It seemed to be almost written in his DNA because he was born as a twin. And even as a twin, his brother came out first. But as Jacob came, he was holding his brother's heel. And so they named him Jacob, which means grasper. And so this became the template of his life. Even though he'd been prophesied to have the inheritance, he made it his business to make sure it happened by grasping and conniving and planning and trying all these sorts of things. He tried to seize that which was his, that which was promised in his own way. But God's will can only be fulfilled in God's way. And God's way is not something that we can manufacture. It's not something that we can just, let's just do it that way. It's a state of heart. God's way is a way of faith. And there are vital elements required that in the fulfillment of God's calling in our life, he will halt our life. He will halt progress in some way until this core element, this narrow path is taken. And with Jacob's story, even though he deceived his way into the inheritance technically, he gained the prize, but he lost the people. So he still had to flee. He'd so cheesed off his brother, his whole family, that he had to run. And he ran indeed for many, many years. And so even though the inheritance was his, he couldn't take hold of it because he'd lost the people. And so he came to the point where he was coming back and to try and reconcile all this. Been through, I think, uh, 14 plus years of loneliness and trying to connive his way back. 
And finally, here he comes. And he found himself in that time in the same roundabout that we all find ourselves in. Why isn't it happening? Uh, what else do I have to do? Come on, God. What, what do you require of me? All unanswered prayer. And then he comes back to this point where he's going to confront his brother and see if they can work this thing out. And we pick it up in Genesis 32, uh, verse 24 to 26. It says this, A man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So we see this quite almost unbelievable dynamic. Uh, it says a man has come and wrestled with Jacob. Now, uh, commentators will say this is either an angel or it's Jesus himself. Either way, I don't think I'd want to be wrestling with either of them. And as they're going through the whole process of wrestling, and, and he was renamed after that process to be Israel, which means to struggle with God. And so the text then says uh, at the conclusion that J Jacob wants to be blessed. I, I want you to bless me. And, and isn't that just a picture of his life? And it, it says in the text, as, it, as you read on there, that he was blessed. We don't know what that blessing looked like. But what we do know is that Jacob had his hip touched and his hip was wrenched from its socket. And I love where it picks up in the end of Hebrews. Hebrews uh, talking about the legends of faith, where it talks about Jacob's life as he went on. And in the sunset days of his life, where the sun's going down and he's still there leaning against his cane because this hip that was put out of joint on this day as he wrestled with God stayed with him to the end. He was broken. He met with God. He struggled with God. He'd been struggling with God for years. But now finally, he becomes a broken man. And whatever form the blessing took on that day, we, want, we know one thing. He was blessed with brokenness. And so this brokenness meant he went on from that day with this lifelong need to rely. He knew what it meant to rely on that cane and that was a symbol for him to know he was supposed to rely on God. And this is the moment. This is a narrow path. See, all the other paths didn't work for him. Now he had to travel this path, this simple path. And you can see why most of us say, can I take any path but that one where you just narrow the road down till I can't escape. I've got to go this way of faith. And this way of faith is not believing that it's all going to come good one day. It's faith that no matter what happens, you're enough, that God is sufficient. This is a single narrow road. And so God constrained him down to that place. And it's only once we square this one away, it's only once we can settle our hearts and find the peace that comes from this type of faith, this depth of faith, that we are positioned to steward this promise, this dream that God has for us in our life. Until we can find peace without the fulfillment of the promise, we're not ready to steward that promise. You see, life's going to present you with many paths, many options and ways to fulfill the dreams that are consuming your mind. The path of pushing, the, the path of pulling away, the path of praying, the path of paying any price, the path of perseverance. They all start with P. They had to. I come up with them. This is just the way we work as preachers. But you can see all the options there and life will present them. But one by one, you'll find at some point they're going to be blocked because God wants his people to be people of faith. Because many of those own paths are fueled by independence. We can do them without dependence on God. And we will just say, look, Lord, can we just take any way but that single way? Because I can have control this way. And he says, no, I want you as a believer to believe, to rest, to rely, and to be a person of faith. 
The amazing thing is even Jesus had to find this way. Even Jesus had to walk this way. You look at the anguish, the turmoil of the scene in Gethsemane just before he was crucified. And he was probably thinking the same thing as a human being. Is there not any other way? And the text even reflects that. God, can there be any way, any cup but this cup that I have to bear? But his reply was, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And that's the pain. The pain that we feel in, this, in taking this journey is the pain of letting go of all these other pathways. But I love in that depiction of Jesus in Gethsemane in Luke 22, verse 43, where after he'd made his call, Lord, your way, not my way. Again, like Jacob, but in a very different way. The angel came and gave him strength. You know, we often call down, if you're one of those intercessor types that loves storming heaven for things, we call down God's armies to go to fight for us, to fight our battles and rescue us, rescue the situation. But what I've come to see as I read scripture and as I've traveled now for decades on this walk myself is that God's greatest rescue is not when he goes to war for us against someone or something else. It's when he rescues me, when my strength fails, when I can't find any other way, when we realize the size of what he's called us to do and we acknowledge we can't do this. We can't live this life as a, as a parent, as a friend, as a partner, as a, case, as a worker for Christ. We can't do it. We can't do what he's called us to do in our own strength. I need to be rescued. And sometimes those angel armies aren't sent to fight our battle. They're sent to give us strength. And I guess my word out of this today, and I think I'm, just, I'm here to tell you this very simple thing, that God may well have paused your life to rescue you from yourself. As he did with Jacob, as he did with Abraham and so many of the other personalities in Scripture. It wasn't the situation they needed rescuing from. It was himself. From the, the striving that we never quit doing to, to make things happen in our life. To, we need saving from that. We need to stop seeing people as blockages to our dreams. We need to be rescued from that. To stop the guilt of looking at a broken past and, and believing it's preventing me from moving into a blessing. Our hearts need rescuing all the time from all these things that consume our mind. We need rescuing to stop us looking at only the horizon and missing the person that's right next to us. We need rescuing from all the broken pieces of our lives that we just can't seem to put back together again, from the fractured heart, from the disappointment, from the pain that we harbour, the residual anguish that goes on in our hearts. We need rescuing. All of us need rescuing. And the more determined we are, the more uh, resourceful, self-resourceful we are, I believe the more rescuing we need. This is what matters most. This is the single path. Personally, I don't believe you're going to fulfill God's calling in your life without at some point going through this narrow path of upgraded faith. And upgraded faith is not some wild cowboy, I believe it, it's going to happen type faith. It's the faith that Paul was called to have where he could say, God's grace is sufficient for me no matter what the situation, no matter what the pain, no matter what we go through, I'm going to rely on him and I can rely on him. And so we're going to spend a moment now reflecting on the way our tough hearts need rescuing, our broken hearts need rescuing. And we're just going to come before God now in a beautiful song. We're just going to be reminded of how much he rescues us. And if you feel compelled in the comments now just to add your thankfulness to that for his rescue, then please do that.
Thanks to the team for that. Isn't that a wonderful song? You know, when we consider what's happening in our life and try to get a read on what God may be doing, and this becomes quite an obsession for many of us, we often confuse an interruption with a disruption. They sound the same, they can look the same, but they're very different things. You see, an interruption in life is where things are put on pause for a while, 
Whereas a disruption is something where something is added to a situation and it changes what happens after that. And so interruption might be taxi drivers going on, on strike for a week. We just can't get a cab. Disruption is when Uber turns up on the scene and completely changes the landscape of what it means to pay for a ride. You see, this COVID situation we're in, it's not an interruption. We can feel like, well, life's just been paused. It's not an interruption. It's a disruption. Life's going to be different now. Commerce will be different. Uh, national budgeting will be different. The way we do meetings and have contingencies for what might be possible in the future, they're all going to change now because of what we've seen. So I wonder if your life, the pausing in your life, whether it's a disruption as well instead of an interruption. Because we often think, well, I can't control what's going on now. I'm just waiting. I've just, my life's been interrupted while I wait for God to do what only God can do. And it makes so much sense. But what we might find is that interruption is actually a disruption. God's up to something where he wants to change what's going on within us. To change so that you can move on. To change us so we can become who we need to be to steward the very thing that he's got us for. See, the wilderness seasons, the pausings that we go through are not about changing the world to prepare it for us. It's about changing you. It's about preparing us for what God wants us to be about. We think it's uh, about waiting for God to do something. And so we sit there waiting, but it's really about God waiting for us to become something so we can fulfill that which he's called us to be. I mentioned briefly about uh, Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. He went through this probably in the most clear way that scripture can define. He waited 25 years for, for the promise and or at least the promise that he thought was a promise to be fulfilled. Incredible dynamic going on there where in that culture, ambition was seen as something about children and generations. So the ultimate ambition was to have family and your name carried on. So that's how he saw the dream. And God had promised that he would become a nation. But God's promise was very different to the interpretation that Abraham had put on it. Abraham thought the promise was about a child. God viewed the promise as that being a nation and indeed a nation of faith. And so for years and years, Abraham's going on. The fulfillment of the dream seemed to be no closer year in and year out because God wanted a person of faith, not birth of a son. Isaac was never going to be the fulfillment of God's plan, even though Isaac was to come. The fulfillment was a man of faith creating a nation of faith. And so at some point, Abraham too had to go down this single narrow path that we have to go down. He thought, just as we do, that the meaning of life with God, that the outworking of a life with God, that the whole dynamic of life with God was fruit. It means I'm a good person or, or there's something I've done. I've fulfilled a calling. We've, we've changed the world, whatever it is. And that's not the point. The whole point is faith. What does God require? They ask that of Jesus in John 6, that you believe, that you have to be a person of faith. That is the primary thing that Christian life is about. And then there's almost like there's daylight before there's anything else. And so God's presence in your life is not primarily about having children or a career or a marriage or your dreams fulfilled, whatever it would be. It's about becoming a person of faith. And so I just want to wrap up quickly now in 1 Peter 1, 7 to 8, because Peter draws his correlation too about the difference between having a life with God that's not so much reflected about what we've done and what, how we are different, but about who we are, a person of faith. He says this, 
These, talking about trials, he says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. I love the way Peter there correlates the, the production of gold refined by fire and it's deliberate. He's saying your faith has come about by being refined by fire. And sometimes the fire is the pause. It's the disruption. It's that narrow road that we choose. And those trials shouldn't result in us in the end believing in God less, but in more. In communion today, Jeff asked the question, how would things work out if it depended on me? And God loves us too much to let our life be defined by what we can do in our own strength. That's why we need the narrow road. Faith is relying on God for life, regardless of what life can throw at us. So what I'd like to do now is just pray. Pray for you because we're all in some form, either now or soon or just being through a pause in our life. And God wants to disrupt us at times and bring about the result as a new person. So let's pray together about that now. Father, I want to pray for those who are frustrated with the waiting, frustrated with the blockages of life, frustrated with just wondering where it's going to go and not being able to see past the mist in front of them. May they find real peace. May they find a way to trust in you. Give them the faith to trust. I pray for those whose lives have been disrupted by relational pain and disappointment and, and breaking of relationships. I pray that they would know joy that comes from being refined by fire, this trial that they've been through, and know that the best is yet to come, that blessing is still in front of them. I pray for those who are waiting for their thing, as Abraham did, waiting for his Isaac, or Jacob did, waiting for his inheritance. I pray that they could just stop. I pray that they could see you. I pray that they could know the faith that is more valuable than the fruit that they seek. Father, bless your people. Bless their people. Bless the mothers today. Bless their children and their children for a thousand generations. In Jesus' name. Well, bless you today. It's been great having time with you. Enjoy some time together in one way or the other. Bless you. See you soon.